This is iUniverse Radio, brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is your opportunity to hear firsthand from authors about their new books. It's an in-depth discussion about the author's passion about the development of his or her story in their own words. It's an inside look into the characters and the plot and how the story all came together. Here is iUniverse Radio. Greetings for iUniverse. This is J. Douglas Barker. The title of the book is The Communing Tree. And joining me from, I think it's California. No, it's not California. It's from uh, way up in the Northwest. Oregon. Oregon, yes. I should should know (laughs) that. It's in the news a little bit. Joining me from there is the author, Teresa Verbort. Did I do that correctly, (laughs) Teresa? That's better. That's That's better. better, Thank thank you for helping me through that. Uh, The book itself is uh, about 220 pages. Uh, Teresa, is this the first book that you've uh, you've written? Yes. Congratulations. First book I wrote, first book I published, and first book I've received an award with. (laughs) I noticed that. Uh, That was pretty impressive. When did the award take place, and uh, what does it represent? It was from uh, the Women Writing the West organization, and I went down to San Antonio last fall, was it? It's been, it was last year. Uh, but uh, the, the award was called the Willa Literary Award 2019 Best Young Adult Fiction. That's impressive. So, very impressive. I yeah, I was very happy. <laughs> I, w- I would uh, also feel the same way if I was a first-time author to get recognized for just anything, even if someone just read my book. But that in itself <laughs> is pretty impressive. You, you uh, have you always uh, had a passion for writing? What What's the background in into this book being written? I was born and raised here in Oregon on the southwest coast, and um, I've always been a a book. Bookphobe, bookophobe, what do you call it? Uh, um, I don't know, one of those people that uh, loves books. Anyway, I, I love books, and I love <laughs> right. reading, and I I love stories, and I've always wanted to, to write stories. And when I was raising our kids, we have six, mm. I, uh, I'd i tell them stories, make up stories, and, and for my grandkids. Beautiful. And um, one day, my husband and I were driving north on I-5 from Ashland, Oregon, and I saw a sign that said, Calmeopsis Wilderness, and an arrow pointing to the west. And I thought, I never heard of the Calmeopsis Wilderness, and I've lived here my entire life. So I got very interested in it and started looking it up. And this story just started forming in my brain. And before I knew it, I was writing it down. Beautiful. The the book, does it take place in 1979, or is that just the beginnings of the background of um, uh, the book? It starts in 1967 is is the beginning mm. uh, when the the heroine or hero hero I guess we call him now yes. uh, Judith her father comes home from the Vietnam War when she's four years old ah. and he's been wounded seriously and has PTSD and um, so he and his wife get involved with this cult leader and before they know it they have moved out into the wilderness to to hide away from civilization and wait for the what they think is the coming Armageddon and they think they'll keep their family safe out in the wilderness 
is that so that's how the they come out uh, it comes about the the communing tree that is a fascinating title as well uh did that uh, title come to you first or after the book or after the storyline created itself after the story came uh, it's uh it became a focal point later in the book and so I thought it was an intriguing title. It is intriguing. What is is it possible that the tree becomes a character in your book uh, as uh, a character is normally developed? I mean, is there something unique about oh, this no. tree? No, well, nothing like that. Uh, the secret of the communing tree is that that this is the place where Judith goes when she's lonely or f- afraid or has a problem and. She and her little sister sit under the tree and and kind of meditate, and their grandmother is buried under that tree, and so they commune with their grandmother through the tree. So it does have some uh, personality that develops, uh, even though it may not have been intentional. It just shows up in the storyline itself. Right, right. It's not a sentient thing itself, but... <laughs> um, uh, Judith's grandmother is a Modoc Indian, and she has taught Judith many of the ways of the wilderness and how to live with nature. And Judith believes that the tree is taking nourishment from her grandmother's body. Hmm. So it's become some part of her. Beautiful. There's a little bit of, I won't use, I was going to use the word mysticism, but there's a little bit of that uh, that connection in the book. In the uh, 220 pages, uh, did you sit down and begin with a storyline or, you know, many authors are, just get so inspired, they sit down and the story just uh, just bubbles out or bubbles to the surface. How did it happen with this particular novel? Well, I just started imagining what it would be like to live in the wilderness and then uh, the story just evolved in my brain uh, of a of a young girl being isolated alone in the wilderness and how she would survive and how she got there in the first place and how she gets out of there <laughs> in the end but uh once i started writing it just kind of the characters took over and and kind of wrote it by themselves it was a fascinating process is the story itself, um, is it character developed? I mean, is it, does it have action and, um, you know, romance? What, how would you describe the contents of the story? It has everything. Uh-huh. <laughs> it has uh, action. It has, you know, there's a little romance in there, too. And um, survivalism, t- talks about survivalism. And it also brings out uh, the effects of PTSD on on servicemen and their families. And two of the main characters in the book uh, are Vietnam vets. Mm. Mm. I have a neighbor that was in Vietnam, yes. Yeah. A a very, very trying time. And I've always felt that the Vietnam vets got a really bad deal when they came back. So I have a very soft spot in my heart for them. That was my generation, Beautifully done. The The book, I'm sure, has some appeal. You have already been awarded uh, a recognition from the Willa Literary Award, uh, folks. Who did you have in mind when you wrote this? Uh, you have, by uh, obvious uh, recognition, written a book that appeals to young adults. Is that your primary audience, or how would you describe it? I wrote it for—I just wanted to tell an, a, an intriguing story— 
for all ages. And I've had people of all ages tell me how much they loved the book. Advisors suggested that I classify it as young adult, but actually it's for all ages uh, from, I'd say, 13 on up. Oh, wonderful. The story, what is the one visual, at least from a creative standpoint, that the reader will really become a part of uh, in that scene and uh, perhaps remember it most about this novel uh, and the title, The Communing Tree. What do you think in, in your creative process was the most exciting? Oh, the development of Judith and her character and also her little sister, Callie. Callie loses her ability to speak because of a terrible incident at the beginning of the book. Mm. And, uh, Judith is left alone to care for her. And uh, I think this is really a, a message of empowerment and strength for young women because Judith grows up in the process uh, through the book. By the end of the book, she's 21, mm. and uh, she's managed to survive and keep her little sister safe and healthy in spite of some scary run-ins she's had along the way with predators and uh, and predatory humans. Mm. Yes, uh, you mentioned in the synopsis of your book that there were some murders committed or murders uh, outlined in the book as well. Is that uh, also true? Yes, that's uh, kind of at the beginning of the book. The girl's parents are murdered and their older brother, and they witness the, the occurrence they managed to escape, but uh, that's what affected Callie so badly. You know, I hate to give away the whole plot. Yeah, don't give away the whole <laughs> plot. I, I could give away a little more, but I, I shan't do so. Uh, I just wanted people to know that there is a, a variety of uh, activities and incidences in this book that will keep their attention, obviously. Now, in introducing this to someone, mm -hmm. what would you what would you describe your book as? How would you describe it to them? Oh, I guess actually it's kind of a coming of age of a young woman, a young girl and her sister, and it's an adventure, exciting adventure story, something that will keep you riveted. I know people who said that they started the book and they didn't do anything else all day until they had finished it. Wow. So <laughs> I think once someone starts it, they'll enjoy it immensely. Uh, that would portend a uh, sequel or a follow-up book. The characters you developed here, do you feel they will have a life beyond this novel, or are you just poised to create a, a secondary, exciting uh, venue of uh, some other character in the next release? Well, I I have a couple of books in the, in the works, but I have worked on the sequel since uh, this COVID thing hit. I've had time to... <laughs> To stay at home and uh, work on the sequel, I'm still polishing it. Hope to get it out sometime before too long. So I'm hoping people will enjoy it too. I'm sure they will. There must have been some challenges as a first-time author. Uh, you have overcome many of them to get this published, I'm sure. But what was the most challenging part of uh, creating this novel? Golly. I've, I'll tell you, I, I rewrite a lot. I, have, I must have rewritten this book and changed the plot 20 times before I finally, <laughs> finally had it the way I wanted it. So 
it took a lot of time and a lot of perseverance. And um, I was finally pretty satisfied with the results. And I self-published this through iUniverse, which um, because I I'm old and I don't have time to hunt down a agent, <laughs> so. Okay. I just went ahead and published it. It was beautifully done. Obviously, the uh, Willa folks were certainly impressed with your effort, and uh, the award was forthcoming from your first novel. That's impressive. Teresa, was there any research that had to be done to create the backdrop for your settings uh, in this novel? I had to take two tours into the Calmeopsis itself. It's in the Siskiyou National Forest in southwestern Oregon, and although I grew up in southwestern Oregon, I had never actually been in the Calmeopsis. It's a gorgeous, fascinating place. It has three wild and scenic rivers running through it. And you can't get into a more beautiful wilderness area. It's certainly one of the most beautiful parts of the United States, for sure. I have traveled through there briefly in my college days and certainly enjoyed the visit. The title of the book, again, is The Commuting Tree. And my author, Teresa Verbort, uh, has joined <laughs> me from uh, in the Northwest. Where do we get a copy of this, this book? You can order it through Amazon or through any of the major bookstores, book companies. Also, you may ask your library if they have it or if they will get it. A lot of, I know there, it's in several libraries here in Oregon, so hopefully... Uh, people can get their hands on it. They can also request it by name, The Communing Tree, or by the author, T-H-E-R-E-S-A, last name V-E-R-B-O-O-R-T, for Bort, and uh, can find this and anything that comes about in the future. Do you have a website yet, uh, Teresa? You can find my blog at Teresa, capital V, capital W, writes, Fabulous. Thank you for joining me today and sharing your story. I hope that in the near future we have an opportunity to visit again and catch up with your your new career as an author. You've done a wonderful job on this book, The Commuting Tree, and uh, hopefully you'll receive the same type of accolades in the future when the next one is released. Thanks again for joining us. Thank you so much. My pleasure for iUniverse. This is Jay Douglas Barker. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Congratulations on getting your book published. The effort you put into your work is truly commendable. But what's next? What will happen to all the knowledge you have worked so hard to acquire to produce your book? Here at Toginet Radio, we can provide you a platform to keep your knowledge working for you through the power of podcasts. The subjects our podcasts cover are as varied as the grains of sand on a beach. From life coaching, to military resources, to business success, even to the paranormal. We have a place for everyone. To get started on your next step, call Scott at 903-787-5880 or email him at scott at toginetradio.com. That's S-C-O-T-T at T-O-G-I-N-E-T-R-A-D-I-O dot com. Welcome back 
to iUniverse Radio. Greetings for iUniverse. This is J. Douglas Barker. The title of the book is Death by Your Own Device, a Philip Sarkis mystery. Uh, joining me is the author of uh, actually four others in this series. This is the fifth, Dr. Peter Kowi. Thank you, sir, for joining me today. Uh, nice to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Pleasure to visit with you. Your book is, uh, again, in a series, and your background is as a medical doctor in the field of cardiology. Your main character, is that similar to your background? Yes. Uh, when I started the series, uh, I um, took the advice of people who I was learning writing from who said, write something about about which you are familiar, and... Uh, Cardiology and specifically cardiac rhythm abnormalities is my specialty. So the the main character in these books, Philip Sarkis, uh, it has a similar uh, specialty. It makes it a lot easier to write about. You also have mentioned in some of your your uh, outline of your history and so on that you have uh, reflected on a few of the cases of malpractice in the industry and have incorporated some of those ideas into your mysteries. Is this uh, also correct? Yeah. So I, I occasionally, although not very frequently, um, have an opportunity to defend physicians in malpractice cases. So those cases are, as you can imagine, some of them are pretty dramatic uh, and have a, a, a fair amount of reader interest. So I've used those cases, uh, fictionalized them, and and turned them into murder mysteries. Which so they're the fodder for the uh, for the series. And who's Ray Gilbert in your series? So Ray Gilbert is a uh, mentee of Philip Sarkis. He's a it was a student and a fellow and worked. Uh, with Philip in his early part of his career, goes off to become his own person at a hospital in Allentown, where the the, the novel is actually centered in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Uh, and um, when he gets into some trouble, uh, he calls on his old mentor, Philip, and that's how Philip gets involved with the case. I've noticed in your novel, because of your background, you've included some what I'd call um, medical terminology, but not overly uh, overly so or not over the top. Is this a novel that will appeal to a broad audience? How would you describe your your uh, focus on the mystery itself? Yeah, that's an excellent question. Uh, when I go back and look at the early drafts of my first book, for example, it, uh, it, it was way over... And what and uh, too just too much medical bargain and mm. assumed an awful lot in the audience. And I've learned over the years of writing. This is about my my year of writing uh, creatively. That it's uh, it's uh, very important to make sure that these that these novels are understandable to the general public. So even though it is medically oriented and there's a, there is medical obviously it's a medical story. Um, I, I really think that people read it, if, even if they're not in the medical profession, um, can appreciate a lot of the uh, plot and the characters. The medical profession from an outsider, that's me, of course, as, as one of those uh, readers that would be uh, uh, approaching this book. In looking at the medical profession, I, I look at it as... Um, 
you know, I might get lost in the weeds uh, because there's so much detail and there's so much um, activity that would be kind of um, uh, repetitive, uh, same. Have you been able to create excitement because of uh, the character you have uh, have designed? Yeah, that's a real challenge. Uh, you're absolutely correct about that, that you can fall into um, a uh, the trap of making things uh, less than exciting. I, I've noticed that there's, I, I, I love reading other people's work, and I've noticed as time goes on in other series that sometimes people lose momentum. The way that I tried to preserve that is by coming up with fresh stories and fresh characters. Um, Ray Gilbert, for example, who is the physician in this book, and Tiffany Springer, his his uh, girlfriend in the book, are new characters. Uh, so we get a chance to see some interesting new characters in addition to the people who were in the older novels. So so you get the continuity, but you don't you don't get bored in the process, which is very important. That's fabulous. You have 304 pages. That, to me, is a monumental task just to come up with a storyline that would, uh, you know, gain my interest over even a, a hundred pages if I was personally creating something. How do you go about it? Do you sit down and uh, develop the characters creatively on paper, or do you just let the story flow as a as a process? I'm afraid my obsessive compulsiveness doesn't permit the second strategy. I, <laughs> I, uh, I'm, I'm a planner, so mm. I spend a fair amount of time uh, outlining the book uh, with a pretty detailed outline before I start, a roadmap. And in that roadmap, uh, I've, I plant the characters um, and try to develop them in my mind. The other thing that I do that people actually kind of enjoy is that most, almost all the characters in my books are based on real people. Um, I've obviously been very careful to make sure that the villains are uh, carefully shrouded so that, you know, we don't uh, uh, hurt anybody's feelings. Hmm. But um, people love to see themselves in, in my books. Uh, and I've, I've even auctioned off the opportunity uh, for charity for people to be characters in my books. And wow. it's, been an, it's been enormously popular. <laughs> uh, even villains, they don't really mind. They just want to be in there somewhere. So it's kind of fun to... People who know me and read my books is kind of interesting. They try to guess who's who. <laughs> do, do you approach in this particular one, Death by Your Own Device, is it um, a single plot or are there multiple layers to the storyline? Well, it, it is a central theme. The central theme was uh, this idea that there were some doctors who may have been implanting unnecessary medical devices in patients. That's what got Ray Gilbert sort of fired up and uh, looking into whether or not that may have been happening in his home territory up in Allentown. Um, but uh, the plot really has a major shift right in the middle uh, when something happens to Ray Gilbert and his girlfriend. And it, it sort of goes off in a little bit of a different direction, but it's, it maintains the central theme. All of these books are, are mystery books. They're whodunits, and uh, I, try to, I try to adhere to that even though there may be some plot shifts and character shifts in the middle, uh, but they are pretty much uh, they are pretty much whodunits. Is there also some of the action types of things we find in mysteries uh, as readers? Yes, um, it, a lot of the action has to do with, <laughs> unfortunately, the violent deaths of people. Hmm. Um, 
I, uh, there are a number, I, obviously it's a murder mystery so that people are getting hurt and murdered. Uh, my wife tells me that I, I've taken out a lot of my aggression by having some of these things happen (laughs) to people, probably in a little bit more gory fashion than they Mm. needed to be. It's actually kind of interesting that you can do that in a book and get away with it and not have to go to jail and and suffer for it. But (laughs) it's actually been kind of fun to figure out ways of, um, well, how is that character going to come to his or her end, and and how does that obviously play into the central theme? You've described yourself as a compulsive or a detail guy. How do you have the time or find the time to create these novels and uh, this suspense and uh, this mystery? Well, as I've told the, the people I've trained, and I've, I've trained hundreds of people in, in cardiology and and arrhythmia specialty, one of the things that I really try to reinforce with all of them is that time management is paramount um, in order to be able to accomplish anything. I'm an academic cardiologist, which means I do research and I teach, um, I lecture, I consult with, uh, with regulatory agencies, with industry. I mean, I have a lot of balls up in the air, but the only way that I can keep all of them, including writing, up in the air is by being a, a very, very careful about the way I manage my time, trying not to waste time. Uh, I'm, I'm also an early riser, so I, I stretch my day a bit uh, in the beginning of the day and give myself a little bit of time, especially in the morning, to, to, to be creative. But it's, uh, it's, all about, it's all about being efficient with your time, and that's the only way that it can get all of this stuff done. And you're able to maintain the energy and the passion. That also is a, um, an achievement for sure. Yeah, it's it, it it waxes and wanes like everything else. You know, I, I I find myself going through periods of time when my, my creativity may lapse a bit. But for the for the last twelve years or so, I've had a pretty regular schedule of getting one of these books out every two to three years. Um, I've been blessed by having some very very good publishers and people helping me, editors and uh, agents and, uh, marketing people who have really been very helpful to me. The, the books have been tremendously popular among people on the medical profession. So a lot of people know who I am because of my role in cardiology. That's been kind of fun to have another way of communicating with these people in a different, in a different context. So yeah, it's, uh, it's actually been, um, a real boon to me in terms of preserving my creativity and as my wife says my right brain exercise oh, phenomenal the the characters in this novel are based out of allentown pennsylvania were the other four novels did they have the same background or are they placed in different parts of the world so the, the, the this is a pretty pennsylvania centric series so mm-hmm. philadelphia allentown uh, the Pocono Mountains, the Pocono Mountain area was the focus of one. The only book that really went out of the of the area entirely was the third book called The Empty Net, which was set in Boston. And I picked Boston because that's where I trained. And um, I'm very familiar. I was very familiar with the city and the and the atmosphere and the people there in Boston. So I've, I've really tried to adhere to uh, local um scenes and venues because again as i said in the very beginning i i'm not uh i'm not i don't claim to be a world-class author i'm a pretty good one uh but i believe that i can do a very good job with things that i'm familiar with what what were the challenges i i would think for me it would be finding a pencil because i'm not very organized but uh, for you what was it uh 
the, you you already hit you you hit the nail on the head when you asked about time. It was the time mm. question. Would I have the time to do it? And would I have the perseverance? You know, I'm sure you know that there are tons and tons of people who have an have an idea about writing a book. Some people actually sit down and begin to write. And the question was, would I have the perseverance mm. to not just start the project but to keep going? And I guess. Uh, it's my personality is that I, once I start something, I have a pretty hard time putting it away. And I think that's really helped me get through these things. But, um, that was the major challenge was, uh, was the whole time issue and, and dedicating myself to the pro to the idea of, uh, seeing it through. Fantastic. Now in describing this or introducing this to someone, how would you describe death by your own device? Well, I'd like to think of it. I, I don't know about you, but I like I like reading when I when I'm going to bed at night or when I'm sitting relaxing maybe on a beach or uh, in a in a place where there's a lot of quiet and a lot of comfort. Mm -hmm. These are books that are ideal for those circumstances because they're, they're first of all they're not real long. They're as you said they're in that 300 to 350 page range. They're a, they're they usually can get through them in a few nights. Um, they're, the, the chapters are very well circumscribed, so you can put the book down and put, pick the book up and, and not really feel like you've lost much of anything. Um, so they're, they're easy reads. And, but at the same time, as being an easy read, the other benefit is that, that you learn something from them. Mm. For people who might be interested in, in learning something about medicine, I think the books do communicate well some of the things that doctors are going through, some of the problems in medicine, some of the advantages that we that we have as physicians. There's lots of medical stuff in there that you can learn from. So it's a it's fun, it's easy, but at the same time it's educational. Phenomenal. And this is a read that uh, would appeal to just about any audience. I'm guessing uh, teenage up because of the length of the uh, the novel. Would that be correct? Absolutely correct. Yes, it's uh meant to be of general interest. I, I really, when I sit down, I really would like to appeal to the widest possible audience. Again, uh, people who may not know a lot about medicine, but are interested in some of the inner workings. Phenomenal. The title of the book, again, is Death by Your Own Device, a Philip Sarkis mystery. The author who has joined me is Dr. Peter Cowey. The last name is spelled K-O-W-E-Y. Thank you, sir, for joining me today and sharing your story. Uh, congratulations on this, the fifth in a series. And uh, where can my listeners get a copy? Uh, so the, the easiest and best way to do this is just go to Peter Coey, P-E-T-E-R-K-O-W-E-Y dot com. And uh, that's my website. And uh, all instructions, uh, excerpts, all kinds of stuff on that website to help you order this and other books. Fantastic. Thank you, sir, for joining me today, and best of luck. I am uh, assuming that you're working on another novel because you are passionate about writing. Yes. Outlined, uh, one chapter <laughs> one chapter in the bag, but a, a, a relatively long way to go, but it's going to be, I think it's going to be actually a, a very good one as we get, in, get into the topic of research fraud. Ah, Dr. Coey, thank you for joining me today and sharing your background, <laughs> history, and the novels that you have created, the storylines. This one, again, is titled Death by Your Own Device, a Philip Sarkis mystery. Thank you again, sir, for being a part of today's program. No, thank you very much uh, for an excellent interview. Thank you, sir. For iUniverse, this is J. Douglas Barker. 
You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. When your focus is to lose weight or maintain your present weight, exercising effectively to burn the most calories is crucial. You want to give yourself every advantage to burn as many calories as possible. One good tip is to do your strength training exercises standing up so you can keep your heart rate up. Another tip is to perform multi-joint exercises when you can. For example, as you're doing a forward lunge, add bicep curls while you're coming up from the lunge. Another example is to execute a wide squat. And as you're coming up from the squat, perform a shoulder press. By doing these multi-joint exercises, you're putting more demands on your body, keeping your heart rate up, and working more muscles at the same time. The goal is to burn the most calories during that workout. I'm Annette Hammond. To hear other fitness and weight loss tips, visit our website at AnnetteHammond.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio. Greetings for iUniverse. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book title is Learning to Be Oneself. And joining me are the co-authors of this book that is designed, I believe, primarily for a younger audience, Daniela Barberi and Mabel Moyano. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Your book is colorfully illustrated. I understand, Mabel, you are also an artist and have shared that skill in putting this together. Original country of birth was Buenos Aires in in Argentina. And Daniela, uh, born yes. in Chile, correct? Yes, yes, that's right. Uh, share why this book became important or something you wanted to share with a young audience. Well, I had written this book and illustrated it. I wanted to publish it, and I thought... That was an interesting story for anybody. But the editorial said it was too short. Mm. Then Daniela offered to write another story. And you blended both together? Yes. Your your primary your primary character in this is uh is uh, the story takes place in Spain. Is that correct? Uh, well, once the first story takes care in Spain and the other one in the United States. Ah. Mm-hmm. And your primary character, is that uh, Ravi or Sarah in the, the uh, Spain uh, incident or the Spain section of your book? Neither one. It's ah. Peter. And what did Peter? What does Peter uh, learn? What is the importance of being oneself uh, in your thinking? And how did you want to get that message across? The problem is uh, he had a difficulty in he he had insecurity in a difficult situation. And had to find a way to solve it himself. 
Are these two separate stories, or do they blend together? No, they're separate stories. In my case, uh, my story is about two, uh, a boy, Ravi, and a girl, Sarah. And they, he, uh, he came uh, from another country, and he came to the United States, so he comes and about the different cultures that there are here, especially on, uh, around Thanksgiving time. So mm. he started to learn all everything ar- about how this Thanksgiving here in the United States, how we celebrate uh, Thanksgiving. So she, uh, Sarah, is the one that uh, teaches her and shows her how our, our customs here in the United States. Beautiful. The uh, mm-hmm. the term good providence is that the heading for the first story or how would you what what is the significance of that name or that phrase? Uh, that's uh, who the boy calls to help him, and that's uh, the idea that the providence will help you but it's actually yourself who helps solve the problem. But the title of the... the yeah, the main title, though, is Learning to Be Oneself. Uh, is that the correct title for the book? Yeah, because it's a combination of both ideas. The, the stories are very different. Hmm. Uh one is a farmer, and the other are school children in the United States. Uh, also, the farmer will have to be a little older uh, to take the vegetables to the market. Uh, the the school children will probably be eight eight or nine years old. Mm-hmm. They're totally different stories, but both have this problem about a difficulty that they have to, to live with. They have to solve by themselves. And you have a lesson of self-reliance in the book, if I if I understand the basic concept of uh, what you've accomplished. Right. We are trying to show that each one of us, in one way or another, we have learned a way to to solve the problem with the knowledge we have learned even as a young kid. Wonderful. In my case, the the boy felt super strange and weird and didn't understand anything about the culture of the United States. And after he started to understand and learned um, everything from here, he, he was like part of the rest of the class and he felt happy because he felt part of the other people and could even cook something for Thanksgiving Day. So he learned that too. So he he had more uh, self-reliance on himself and felt happy about what he was 
able to do. Wonderful. Amabel, did you do the illustration on all of the books, or both stories? Yeah, yes, I did both of them. And did it take a long time? You have... Uh, you have 54 pages did you do did you did it take a while to get all of the story in a way that you wanted to share it of course of course the the drawings took a long time much longer than the story itself <laughs> even though i'm a very slow typist in that sense i like daniela who typed a word a million <laughs> A million words a minute. Wow. <laughs> so it is a very good combination, yes. <laughs> uh, producing any type of book or storyline, especially for children, has to be challenging. Were there any challenges beyond that that you had to overcome? Uh, was there any difficulty in, in getting this published? Right. Uh, <laughs> money. <laughs> Don't have any. <laughs> Uh, money and um, we didn't have an editor. This is a self-published book. The editorial uh, was done at home, which is kind of hard. Usually you don't see the errors of what you type. This is something that uh, I I learned the hard way. (laughs) (laughs) It's difficult, uh, for sure, to complete and get a project together and publish that you are happy with. Have you always desired to be a creative writer in sharing stories? Has that been something, Daniela or Mabel, that you uh, always had a desire to do? (laughs) No, I never thought of it. No, not in my case either, but I've been a teacher for many years also. So um, um, I had um, the idea of one day to write something and and share also um, whatever experience that I have had in my life, you know, Mm. with kids. And and so this is, I think, it's like a good opportunity to share, you know, kind of experience that because I've been in many classes and having a Thanksgiving date in, with little kids, so it's a good chance to, to write that and talk about that. Beautiful. And because of your experience in Montessori as a teacher, uh, I'm certain there are many stories that uh, perhaps could evolve from, from your experience there as well. Right. I'm sure if you write the anecdotes of the students, it would be an interesting book, a comic book. Absolutely uh, Uh, enjoyable. That's a lot. Uh, The only thing I want to write, and eventually I will publish as soon as I recuperate uh, the money, uh, is to... I have two books of poetry, Beautiful. but that has nothing to do with children. Mm. It's uh, very abstract and kind of sophisticated uh, poetry that I wrote for many years with 
a group of writers. Well, excellent. That's something to look forward to in the future. Uh, Daniela, are you planning to to assist her in that, or are you going to stand on the sidelines and applaud? Uh, In my case, I would like to write something about my... My trips, because another thing I love, uh, I, um, uh, as I told you, I am a teacher. I love kids, but I also like to travel a lot, mm. and I've been in many countries. So I usually I write all my trips um, to to remember, and maybe I would like to write like a story or a novel, uh, like having like a base of um, on the other trips that I have done and the countries that I have been, you know, and and I have known. Well, that would, so maybe that would be fascinating. to write something about that. That would be a fascinating read for sure. My wife and I have uh, traveled extensively as well. Uh, our only issue, yes. our only issue is I can't remember what we did and where it was, but uh, we did have a good time. I remember that <laughs> part. <laughs> That's why I like to write everything. As soon as I come back from a, a trip, I just write down every single thing I have done because it's not after a while you forget. Yes. So, um, and I have my papers at home and I keep it like in a little file uh, on a folder. And and I, so whenever, once at a time I read, oh yeah, I was here, I was there, I did that, I did Mm. this. And there's some anecdotes that then you forget. So it's, it's nice to keep it. So having that, I, I would like to write something and, take one, you know, some story from there. Beautiful. Well, we'll get a chance to talk again perhaps in the future. Either one of you, when you complete another book, would love to visit again. This book is titled Learning to Be Oneself, and uh, my authors have uh, joined me from Florida, I believe, Daniela Barbary and Mabel Moyano. And uh, was there, have you had a chance to share this with anyone yet? I mean, have uh, children responded to the storyline? We have no idea. No, uh, we have not shared these stories with with kids around us, no. Well, that will be coming, I'm I'm certain. And uh, Daniela, you've got a built-in audience, so I think that would be an easy way to read the story or share that with them. Where can my listeners get a copy of your book? Well, in Amazon and uh, another editorial, but I have no idea what the other name. They can do. Uh, they can do a search under the name of the book and find it for sure. Uh, learning yes, to be oneself, yes. and uh, also mm-hmm. under the authors uh, Daniela D A N I E L L A Barbary B A R B E R Y. And also Mabel Moyano, M-A-B-E-L-M-O-Y-A-N-O. Either of those names will connect you with the book, I guess is the way I'm trying to describe it. Uh, Congratulations on completing this. I think the name of the book has a a website, which I I have not seen. Uh, I have seen the, the website, but I have not. Um, the project, let's say, but nothing else. Very good. It will yeah. it will grow. It certainly will. Uh, thank you for sharing. Yeah. Yes, thank you for sharing your story with us today, and best of luck. Hope to hear from you in the future as you uh, continue your your adventure as authors. So thank you again for taking time to create this, the artwork and the story that I know will be of inspiration to many many children. 
I hope to hear from you again. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure for iUniverse. This is Jay Douglas Barker. iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is produced by TogiNet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge.